Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday. It is November 15th. We're going to talk about Marquette's big win against the Illinois Fighting Illini. We're also going to discuss the fan sentiment around Adrian Griffin. There was an article uh, calling for his firing after 10 games. We'll get into why I think that's ridiculous. We'll also highlight why I had some major problems with the article. And then we'll look ahead to the Los Angeles Chargers that the Green Bay Packers are playing this week. Uh, before we get going, uh, you guys know the drill. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. Uh, we're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Where Wherever else you get your podcast. If you're new to the program, you found us uh, through social media, uh, which we'll, talk, we'll pump here in a second. Uh, we are doing this four days a week. Uh, we had some great response uh, to the review of the Marquette, Illinois game. So hopefully some of you are checking it out after as a recap for Marquette. We're trying a new segment here, which I, I'm really excited about. And I think it will work. I hope it will work. Uh, but yeah, we're doing this four days a week. We don't just talk about Marquette. We talk about the Green Bay Packers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Milwaukee Brewers. We do talk about Badger football. I know there are a lot of Marquette fans who don't want to talk, acknowledge uh, those kinds of Badgers, uh, but we do talk about it. So uh, I, I at least have to let the people know. I got to be transparent. I got to be honest. And speaking of that social media, uh, tapping the keg on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, uh, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. So if you're connected on one, make sure you are connected on another. All right, let's get in to Marquette's win over the Illinois Fighting Illini. Marquette Golden Eagles had their first test of the year. Uh, they had head to Champaign, Illinois for a Big Ten road matchup with 23rd ranked Illinois. And Marquette passed, I wouldn't say with flying colors, but they passed uh, and they did well. And if we're doing, you know, following along with our segment of grading the game, uh, I would say Marquette had a B. I don't. I wouldn't go as far as say B minus because uh, I feel like B minus. It's like well, they barely deserve to win this game. I, I don't think that's the case. Marquette. There were some things they did wrong. There were some players that didn't play well, and we'll get into that in a second here. But I, I think Marquette had a pretty solid day, and the fact they went on the road to a ravenous uh, assembly hall and were able to get that victory, I think says a ton about this team. Seven straight wins now against ranked opponents. They have been absolutely fearless in these matchups against the big time opponents and they've looked good while doing it. And I, I thought that this was a excellent win for the Marquette Golden Eagles. I'm not saying that anything right now I have as a quote unquote scheduled loss but if they were to drop this game, I think it would have been entirely understandable, right? You're looking ahead to Maui. It's a tough environment. It's, you know, Illinois knows that this could be a resume-defining win. Jason Benetti uh, on the broadcast mentioned how their Texas win uh, early in November last year was really a propellant to where they were seated uh, last year in the NCAA tournament. So they could have said, all right, well, we'll basically do it again. We'll beat Marquette. And we'll make sure that that's on our resume all year long. But Marquette did not let that happen. Marquette was actually in control for most of the game. And I think the biggest thing that stood out to me is this is the first game 
where Marquette was the haunted, right? And we talked about that all preseason. We were like, this is an entirely new approach. Instead of being the haunter, instead of having this chip on your shoulder fucking mentality, which I still think they have, by the way, but the, it's not actually there. And everybody's looking to beat Marquette. Everybody's looking to upset Marquette. That is a great resume win, as we just noted. And Marquette didn't kind of give a fuck. Like, they went in there, and they were leading at halftime. They had control. They, they did not look tight. There was a, you know, a time in the first half where nobody was scoring. But, and so Marquette wasn't scoring, but Illinois also wasn't scoring. Like, that was the opportunity where Illinois could have overwhelmed Marquette, went on like an 8-12-0 to run, and got out to a pretty significant lead in the first half. And Marquette would then have to be coming back the entire game. But instead, Marquette basically held their water. Yes, they were not scoring offensively, but guess what? Illinois wasn't scoring either. And so I felt like that impressed me more than the victory. Well, I shouldn't say that, but like I was very impressed by that. I was very impressed that they basically did not care that they were haunted. Okay, you want to beat us too fucking bad. I love that out of Marquette. Like that to me just shows me so much mental toughness that I already felt like Marquette probably had, but this takes it up a notch for me. So I really enjoyed what I saw from the Golden Eagles all game long. Again, even if it wasn't perfect, I still felt there was enough there to like. All right, let's grade the game in our newest segment for the Marquette Golden Eagles. You guys will have to tell me if you like this segment. If you don't like this segment, um, I'm happy to adjust uh, at any point, uh, I, I am flexible. I was just looking for something to do for Marquette. I feel like, is it similar to Golden Kegs? Yeah, it's a little similar to Golden Kegs. I'm not gonna lie to you, uh, if you're familiar with what we do for the Packers. But I, I, I just thought that this was the way to go. But you certainly can let me know. Uh, if you have other ideas, uh, hit me up on Twitter slash X, tapping the keg, or tapping the keg sports on Instagram. I'd be happy to hear feedback on what we could be doing differently. All right, so how we're gonna do this is we're basically gonna go through the game. We're gonna give out grades to different things, people, uh, events, moments, uh, different little things, uh, and go from there. All right, A, Tyler Kolk, uh, by far. Uh, Tyler Kolk was a game time decision. Uh, people assumed that Tyler Kolk would not play because of his ankle injury. Uh, it seemed like the logical thing to do would have Kolick sit down and then play against UCLA in basically another week. Uh, but Tyler Kolick said, fuck him. Like Tyler Kolick was like, no, I am not hurt. Do not worry about me. I am out here. Uh, the broadcast pointed that out in the first half that they that Kolick kept kind of looking at the bench Every time that he would score a bucket, basically like, yeah, guys, I'm fine. I'm fine. Do not worry about me. Do not put kid gloves on me. Tyler Kolick is a tough son of a bitch. And Tyler Kolick played excellent in this game and looks like the best point guard in the country. Uh, 24 points for him. Uh, he also had six rebounds, four assists, two steals, a great stat line. Offensive rating of 109 was the MVP per Ken Palm, if you follow that. Uh, it, it was just a very good night for Kolek and he took control right away. He he did not look hesitant. He did not look like he was 
favoring that ankle at all. Uh, played 37 minutes in this game, which is crazy considering that he has an injury. All of us were like, well, maybe like load manage him a little bit. No, no, he, did, he didn't want to do that. He wasn't hearing that. Uh, so a great game uh, from Tyler Kulik and why he is the man, why he is one of the best players in college basketball and why he is so fun to watch, especially if you're not a Marquette fan and you're getting invited on the bandwagon, which I do have a bandwagon invitation to everybody. I know it's it's tough right now in Wisconsin sports. No one's winning. Marquette is winning. Uh, Tyler, you will find out if you are a Bucks fan or you're a Packer fan and you, you don't really watch college sports, but I would recommend checking out Marquette and I think you'll fall in love with Tyler Kulik. Uh, another A to another ranked victory. Uh, we, we talked about that in the open, but you know, just getting another victory against a ranked opponent just shows you the resolve of Marquette. And obviously that will be put to the test when they go to Maui. I don't think UCLA will be ranked, but they will likely, if they beat UCLA, play Kansas. And then if they were to beat Kansas, they would play either Purdue or Tennessee, who two teams who have looked like the best teams in college basketball early on. It's way too early to be like, oh yeah, these are tournament title contender teams. Well, I, I think you would say that they, they look like, you know, Final Four, they look like they could make a deep run in March, but again, it's November. It was a long way to go, uh, which is something we're gonna talk about in our next segment uh, with Adrian Griffin. But anyways, another road vic- ranked victory just adds to the early resume, and now hopefully Illinois will make us look good. Uh, team defense is my last A of the game. I, but I thought Marquette played really well defensively, uh, allowed 64 points. I think there was some concern about their defense uh, after that Northern Illinois game last week where they gave up, what was that, 70 points, and Northern Illinois seemed to get whatever they wanted at the basket. And I had said at that point, I, I felt that it was just a really fast game and felt that a lot of the problems maybe in that game were just the, the pace of play was so ridiculous. And Marquette's defense was incredible. Uh, the Illinois, even though they had size, they did not really pound it down low. Like Illinois certainly could have attacked Marquette in the paint. They are a much bigger team than Marquette. Like they have... Everybody's 6'6 on their starting rotation. And then there's a 6'10 guy in Coleman Hawkins, a 6'8 guy in Quincy Garrier. But they did not attack the paint. They actually only shot the ball inside the arc 27 times. They shot 33 threes, which is wild to think about that Marquette basically mindfucked Illinois to shooting threes, even though they have a significant size advantage on Marquette. And again, that's credit to that team defense and credit to what we see out of the Golden Eagles. And defense at times were an issue for the Golden Eagles last season, and it wasn't uh, against Illinois. All right, let's give the Bs of the game things that were good, but not great. Uh, Oso Gidara gets a B for me. I, the Desert Bear, I felt like played pretty well, uh, only getting knocked because the free throws were a little bit of an issue, three of seven. He, did, he is weirdly like... One thing that's weird about Oso Iguodaro's free throws is the fact that he can always seem to make them in the clutch. Like, even though he's about a 40 or 50% shooter, something clicks in him where he has to make the free throws light. A uh, little bit like Giannis in the playoffs, I realize that's an intense comparison, but like, Oso Iguodaro somehow finds a way to make free throws in the moments that matter. Uh, but 13 points for Oso. Uh, he also pulled down eight rebounds, nearly a double-double. He had three steals, too, uh, from the big man position, but also played really well. I mean, also, I think worth noting, 
against some teams that were bigger than Marquette last year, Oso Aguidaro would find himself in the foul trouble. That UConn game uh, is one that I think of immediately in the tur- Big East tournament. Oso did not get in foul trouble the entire game. I mean, he had three personal fouls. Like, that's normal for college basketball, normal for a big man. Uh, he never found him. And I think that last foul, actually, by the way, was at the very end. So he really two fouls for the most of the game. Like, that's a major development for Marquette's defense. If Oso Aguidaro can kind of learn how to play defense without fouling, that's a huge thing for Marquette. If you can have him and Tyler Kolek on the floor for a significant amount of the game, you're probably going to win a lot of basketball games because that's a huge thing. And, you know, it's Pat Driscoll, it's John Gaffney. Those are guys that are not necessarily well-liked in the college basketball referee community. And Oso Aguidaro did just fine against that. So he played well defensively against the big guys. He also had a pretty solid offensive game, a B only because of the free throws. Uh, ben Gold's rebounding, I'm giving this a B as just sort of a cautious throwing it to the wind, but Ben Gold was not a great rebounder last year. Uh, that was a flaw of Ben Gold. People were like, hey, Ben Gold, not exactly, you know, a excellent rebounder, but this stretch of rebounding for Ben Gold is as good as it's been for his entire time at Marquette. Uh, he has pulled down so far this year 14 defensive rebounds. He had five defensive rebounds in the game against Illinois. Uh, this was also a game where Bengal last year had looked small. Every time that he faced a good opponent, it seemed like Ben Gold would kind of crumble. Uh, he did not in this. He actually, his offensive rating was the highest out of anybody on the Marquette roster. He had 125 offensive rating. Uh, he only had three points, but that didn't really matter. Uh, he had seven total rebounds. And again, only committed two fouls uh, in those 17 minutes. So really solid stuff from Ben Gold. I think there could have been a case to be made that you should have ran Gold and Aguidaro more late game. Uh, I felt like just what you were getting from David Joplin wasn't a ton or Chase Ross who played more minutes than Ben Gold. I felt like Ben Gold probably deserved another few minutes, but maybe you don't want to overwhelm him. Maybe you're just happy with the progression that's going forward. And maybe that's the difference of this game versus like Creighton in December and you actually see more Ben Gold. So I, I like what we've seen so far from Benny Gold's rebounding. I hope that it continues. Uh, another B to Cam Jones. I, I felt like Cam Jones played all right. Uh, he kind of came on as the game went going. You know, he had a really good start to the season against Ryder, against Northern Illinois, and played well again in this one. 15 points. Uh, he, he shot the ball, what, thir- he was, he had, it was let's see, 6 of 13. So that's, that's you kind of dig him for the amount of rebound or amount of shots taken. He also missed a couple free throws. He did also grab five rebounds, uh, which is you know great for you know what they need with sort of his sneaky size. I think people forget that Cam Jones is six five, uh, which is great and, and definitely something you need against a team like Illinois. Uh, but he made a couple big shots down the stretch. The guy just loves tough buckets. He is the tough tough shot express conductor like that guy is so good around the paint and really made some big shots when it mattered so good stuff from cam jones uh the last b i have to give it up to the broadcasting crew i really enjoyed jason benetti uh i don't think we get a lot of jason benetti big east games i think he does a lot more uh big 10 games because he's just in that area uh he actually just moved from chicago to detroit uh but like can we get more jason benetti in the big east 
I really like Jason Benetti uh, calling college. He's, he's just a great, great broadcaster. Like, he's good for college football. Uh, I, from what I've heard, he's pretty good baseball. Um, obviously, the Brewers don't have Benetti. Uh, the White Sox now the Tigers do. But, like, he is just an awesome broadcaster. Uh, and I, I wonder if he's going to get the call up to do NBA or NFL. Because, like, to me, he's good enough to do that. Uh, I don't know if he wants to do that. I feel like the schedule is a little less of a grind. But I really like Benetti. Jim Jackson is okay. I think Jim Jackson uh, finally respects Marquette. Last year, he was kind of a hater against Marquette. Uh, it seems like Jim Jackson finally gets it. Uh, so shout out to Jim for finally understanding how good Marquette is. Uh, it, it only took you a year and a half, Bubs, but that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I really like Benetti. We need more Benetti Big East games. Just just a thought for uh, the Fox people. Not that they actually listen. Going into more, more the negatives, uh, if you will or just the kind of average, uh, see to the final four minutes. I, I, look, I know that in the quote-unquote fourth quarter of the game, if you look at Ken Palm, Marquette did win that pretty handily, 19-12. Uh, to 12. But I, I didn't exactly like how Marquette closed out this game. Uh, I, I felt like there was a little too timidness. I felt like they didn't know what to do when Illinois kind of threw a trap at Tyler. Uh, I didn't think that there was enough action going on. I felt like they were way too stagnant uh, when they could have ended that game uh, and just sort of one dagger shot There really wasn't there. Now, again, it's the third game of the season. Uh, that stuff's going to get improved. I just think they need to kind of have look at that tape and think about how they're how they're handling that final four minutes because that was something that I, I felt needed to be better. Uh, I think it helped them that Illinois, no one wanted to be the guy. I think that's a problem with transfer portal college basketball. Like I, I it works, right? You can make a team out of a transfer portal dudes and Marcus Damas, who's on the team from Southern Illinois, he's a really good fucking player. I'm really impressed with what Illinois has. But no one from Illinois wanted to grab this game by the dick. No one wanted to say, I'm the man. Which is really interesting that it wasn't Terrence Shannon, that it wasn't Coleman Hawkins, because they've been there, right? And no one wanted to make that big shot. Uh, they were extremely timid. And I, I feel like that helped Marquette, that offset some of that last four minute stuff with the Golden Eagles. So I, I do want to, I think that's kind of throwing caution to the wind of like, we can be happy they won. We can be happy that they got took care of business. But that was a little concerning. So I just think they need to be a little bit better in those clutch time moments. Uh, other C2 finishing at the rim. Uh, Marquette missed a lot of bunnies. Like there were a lot of moments where they could have finished. And this game could have been a lot uglier for Illinois. Uh, they were getting anything they wanted early on. It just the shots were not necessarily falling. And that just needs to be a little bit better. Um, I know Cam Jones, again, as we said, tough shot express, but there needs to be more than just Cam Jones making those baskets. Uh, Marquette just needs to slow down just a little bit. There were little Luis Mendoza out there where they were just running and they didn't know how to stop. And hopefully that gets better. Uh, maybe that was a little bit of nerves. Maybe that was a little bit of just the Illinois size, a little bit of the intimidation factor that your shot was going to get blocked. The Illinois block shots. And so like I can understand struggling to finish at the rim when Illinois is blocking seven shots in this game. Like they were pretty aggressive down low. Coleman Hawkins threw three back. So I, I do kind of get that maybe finishing around the rim was more difficult because of what Illinois presented from a defensive perspective. 
Uh, D, really just the injuries. Osoe Gidara's shoulder kind of popped out at the end. Now, he played the rest of the game. He did not have to come out. It looked like he was going to have to come out. It looked like he might have dislocated a shoulder. Um, I would expect that that shoulder fucking hurts this morning as Osoe Gidara gets out of his bed. Uh, hopefully, it's okay. Um, you know, obviously, you have nearly a week to treat it. You need Osoe Gidara against the size of UCLA. UCLA is massive. Uh, with Bona and uh, the seven-three guy who they brought in, I forget his name. I think his like last name is Maya or something like that. Uh, they they definitely need Osoigadar in that game. So hopefully that shoulder is okay. Hopefully it was just a stinger, just like an awkward sort of it, it, you know hyperextension. Always mean, I feel like means something worse, but hopefully he just kind of hyperextended it a little bit and it, it'll feel fine in a couple of days. I still worry about Tyler Kolek's ankle. I realize he played 37 minutes, but I, I just hope that this isn't something that's going to linger. Uh, now you have six days to rest it. I think get Tyler Kolek on ice for a few games or a few days. Just make sure that he is going to be okay for UCLA. Also, Worth noting, uh, more for an ankle injury than a, a shoulder injury, you're going to be in a plane for seven hours. Like, why is not a short flight? Uh, and that that can cause swelling um, when you do have, you know, that type of injury. So I, I do worry about that a little bit. I will imagine that Marquette will fly in on Saturday. I was Saturday, probably, right? Because I think they do some pre-festivities. Man, I wish. I wish I was going. I know it's not even in Maui uh, because of the fires. It's in Honolulu, but I love Honolulu. Uh, if you are going, uh, it's in downtown Honolulu. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll add no, because I was like, oh, I could do that for Friday. Uh, but if you are going and you're listening to the pod, I will say Aloha Brewing is great. They have like three breweries kind of in that downtown uh, Honolulu area. There's a really solid sushi place uh, that my wife and I went to. I, I can't think of the name, but it, it was good. It was solid, actually. <laughs> We ordered sushi. We, were, we had drank so much craft beer that like sushi didn't exactly look good at that moment. Uh, we, that was maybe one of our only mistakes uh, on our honeymoon. But all in all, like downtown Honolulu is a blast. If you stay in Waikiki Beach, that's that's a great area. I love Hawaii. I would go back to Hawaii tomorrow. Like if someone's like, hey, I have tickets for us to go to Honolulu. Uh, I'm starting a new day job on, on Monday, but I, I might just be like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're pushing that back to go watch uh, go watch Marquette uh, in on the island. And I'm very jealous of if you are doing that. All right, Fs for the game before we uh, talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, David Joplin, man, Rough day for the Jop Wagon. The Jop Wagon did not have any wheels. Uh, he had five points in this game. He only made one shot altogether, one of six. He was three or four from the line. He did pull down five rebounds, but a really, really rough night for him uh, in 27 minutes. Uh, is that the size of Illinois? Uh, you know, he's 6'8", so you kind of want Joplin out there. Was it the focus on defense? Uh, I, I'm not sure. And Joplin has not necessarily been known for his defense uh, through the first two years at Marquette. But I, it was just a tough uh, day for David Joplin. And I, I hope it gets better against good opponents. I think that's definitely something to keep on our radar here as we head into UCLA and Maui is can David Joplin, you know, do this and be a starter against good teams? Because uh, I, I think that would bubble up as a, a slight concern if he cannot. Maybe it's something that as the year goes on, we start to see the progression from Joplin. But yeah, that was a very rough game uh, for the Joplin. Free throw shooting, 
not good. Uh, 12 of 20 from the line. Uh, that just needs to be better. Uh, in a close game against a good opponent, you need to be, you know, kind of in that 80% range. Uh, they just missed way too much from the line. Uh, eight points is a lot. And I know Oso isn't a great free throw shooter. We already discussed that. But, you know, Cam Jones missed two. Kolek missed one. Uh, Joplin missed one. So it, it adds up, right? And Marquette needs to make sure that that's better. Uh, I would assume that that's being practiced uh, this week. Chase Ross, another one. Uh, Chase Ross, as much as I think we like Chase Ross as a six man, he did not really have it today. He actually had a worse offensive rating than Joplin, if you could believe that. Uh, only two points for Ross. Uh, he he didn't, wasn't that effective scoring. Uh, he had a brutal foul at the end too, where it's like, all you just got to do is let Illinois sort of dribble out. He was part of the closing lineup, which I felt like was interesting. Uh, they went with him over Stevie Mitchell. Uh, Stevie did not play well. You certainly could have added Stevie. I just didn't want to dogpile. I was like, all right, we already got two players at F. We don't need to add a third. But I, I think that's, again, speaks to how good of a win this is. You won this game. Even though David Joplin, who you rely on, Stevie Mitchell, who you kind of rely on more defensively, but somewhat offensively, and Chase Ross, who's likely your sixth man, those three guys did not play well today, and you still fucking won. And you still won, not necessarily like you pulled it out at the very end. You, you won this pretty convincingly. So really, really so- solid win by Marquette. Again, let me know how you feel about this segment. Uh, happy to adjust, happy to think about it a little bit differently. Uh, but I, I actually really liked it. So... Uh, think it's going to stay. Although that UCLA game is tough, man. Uh, with the UCLA game I, being at 1030, uh, we'll certainly probably have a podcast right away in the morning. Uh, I do not think I'll be taping after the fact. Uh, as I said, new day job starting on Monday. So that also makes it difficult. Uh, but I, I have a plan in place to uh, to make sure we mitigate that and figure that one out. So don't, don't you worry. We'll have something uh, for the people. All right. Let's move on to the professional basketball area and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks did not play yesterday, but the Milwaukee Bucks social media community, especially Twitter slash X, was buzzing because on Brew Hoop, there was an article written on why it's time to fire Adrian Griffin. Now, I really bristle at this. Uh, This is like me, like a cat getting wet. That's how I sort of feel reading that article. And I, I read the entire article uh, because I hate to give it a click, honestly, uh, but I, I felt like it was important for me to understand where Archon was coming from. And he's a Twitter user that is also a writer for the Packer SB Nation site. And he is a Bucks guy too. Uh, but he, he wrote basically on why Adrian Griffin needed to be fired and said that this is just a complete mess and that the Bucks should cut their losses and that this shouldn't necessarily be a big deal. And even though it's unprecedented, I, I just, I can't get down with it. Uh, I, I really am hesitant to call for a guy's job when we've only had 12% of the season played. We have just passed week two of the NFL season. This would basically be, and I think that some fans are basically saying that Adrian Griffin is the NBA version of Nathaniel Hackett. I can remember that week two, everybody was done with Nathaniel Hackett. Now remember, that Denver Broncos team had a ton of expectations. They had just traded for Russell Wilson. They looked awful in those first two games, and they were 0-2, if I'm not mistaken. Now the Bucs are 6-4. Uh, they are not 4-6. They're not 3-7. and 
I feel like how if the Bucks were you know struggling in that sense, then yeah, I think there would at least be a little bit of a of a discussion. But it seems like every time the Bucks lose, we're trying to ask for Adrian Griffin's job. That we think Adrian Griffin is not qualified for this position. That we're so fucking concerned with the window that the Milwaukee Bucks have. And look, I get it. They're a little bit of an older team. I understand it. But how do we really know what windows are in the NBA when there is so much development in terms of guys taking care of their body? People are doing such a good job of taking care of their body. If you don't think Chris Middleton is likely getting traded after next year, you don't understand what's coming up. The Bucs can get younger immediately. They can trade Brooke Lopez and get younger. They can get, you know, a, basically the Bucks 2.0. And that is on the precipice. That is being planned. Now, if Griffin's going to be along with the ride, that's another story. I think I also really don't like it because... There's nothing that is saying, well, sources, people I talked to have said that this is a complete disaster. First thing I saw was Frank, Frank Madden, who used to be with Brew Hoop's Emerus, the guy who started Brew Hoop, talking about how people who plugged into the organization say that Adrian Griffin's just a complete mess. I need to hear it from somebody who is an important source, right? I need to hear it from Adrian Wojnarowski. I need to hear it from Ramona Shelburne. I need to hear it from Zach Lowe. I need to hear it from one of the ringer guys, Kevin O'Connor or Michael Pena. Like, I don't always like all the stuff those guys put out, but I need to fucking hear it from somebody who actually is plugged in, who actually has a fucking source versus just conjecture of, well, the team doesn't look connected. They don't look that excited. Adrian Griffin mentioned dark clouds. Dark clouds also can mean anything. Damian Lillard is going through a divorce. A divorce is not a fun thing as a team to go through. And a guy who's starting out a brand new life halfway across the country, a guy who had his support system in Oakland, that has now been uprooted for Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard has to understand that he's dealing with lawyers when he's not dealing with basketball. So please, for people who don't have, have dealt with divorce, which I haven't dealt with divorce, from everything I know, it fucking sucks, okay? So I think there needs to be a little bit more of an understanding of what's going on here. And all he was doing in that article was quoting cleaning the glass. And like, I understand using analytics, but basically you're like, the Bucs aren't an analytically good basketball team. Well, they were an analytically good basketball team with Mike Budenholzer, but they couldn't get over the hump in the playoffs. So that that's like a little bit of a rubber meets the road. And so I just take umbrage with some of, with a lot of the stuff in the, in the column. Like, I understand if you want to talk about concerns about Adrian Griffin already. Here's what I'm concerned about. I think it was a bombastic engagement bait headline to basically make sure that people clicked. When really, you could have written this article a lot better. And I just feel like there was stuff missing. Like I said, there's nothing that's sourced. This is just basically an opinion piece. So there's nothing that you have sourced out to say, yeah, people have told me that this is a major issue. That's, that's problem number one with the article. The problem number two is there's no suggestions on where the Bucks go from here. That, that to me was a, a bigger red flag than this. It's like, okay, if you fire Adrian Griffin, what do you do? Guess what? You would have to overpay for guys. If you wanted Doc Rivers, if you wanted Mike D'Antoni, you would have to pay those guys out the ass 
to come to Milwaukee. Do you think Doc Rivers, who's in LA, who has a cushy ESPN job, is just going to say, yeah, I'll, I'll go take, I'll go hang out in Milwaukee for the winter. He's already won a title. He, he, you could argue, was kind of checked out with Philadelphia after what Nick Nurse has done so far with the, with the Philadelphia 76ers. So how are there no suggestions on what the Bucs should do in terms of a head coach? There is none of that. That does not exist. There are no suggestions on where the Bucs would go if they get rid of Adrian Griffin and also defy Giannis's trust, right? If the rumors are true that Giannis Antetokounmpo wanted this guy, that Giannis Antetokounmpo basically pulled the LeBron card, which LeBron has done for his entire career, some of it has worked out, some of it has not, that are you just going to tell Giannis after you gave him this extension to basically fuck off? It'd kind of be like trading Devontae Adams after Aaron Rodgers got his big deal. Although I think there's context there that Devontae did not want to be here. But again, I'm just using it for comparison's sake. So I, I hate the fact that there is no suggestion. I also hate the fact that there's no, hey, let me just provide, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. There was none of that. And there's an easy opportunity too, because Emma Udoka would have been perfect to basically say, and he mentions Emma Udoka and his star with the Rockets and the Rockets look great. He could have said, well, hey, look, when Emma took over the Boston Celtics, they were a 500 basketball team halfway through the season. They really struggled with Udoka. They really struggled to get on board. And finally they bought in and all of a sudden it all clicked together. And then Boston was in the finals in year one of Udoka. But it took a long fucking time for that to happen, for that to settle in. And I'm sure people in Boston were not patient. I'm sure I could probably find similar articles where Celtics fans were calling for Udoka's head. But I can't believe that that wasn't at least mentioned. That Udoka had a 500 basketball team through January of that year. Boston was not a good basketball. Like if you look at that Boston Celtics team, like that was not necessarily a team that was just a meet that had figured everything out. That was just really good that year. Let's let's actually look at it. I can page through here and and get you that that information because like if you're going to write this article, at least acknowledge like, hey, yeah, M.A. Udoka, there was, you know, there was a little bit of a struggle. There was, it was not necessarily, you know, that easy. They finished 51 and, and 31. They were what? I think they were what? The three seed that year, if I'm not mistaken, two seed? No. Yeah, they were two seed, right? Because the Bucks, you know, had to play them on the road. But okay, so that Boston team, at the end of so January 8th, 2022, 40 games into the season, they were 19 and 21. Okay, they were 19 and 21 into January 28th. So, almost at the end of January, they were 25 and 25 through 50 games. They finished the season what 51 and 31. They lost six games the rest of the way, and they bought in, and it all of a sudden it clicked. And then Boston made it to the finals. Now they didn't win the finals, but they got to the finals. So how do we not, how does that not get pointed out? How does that not get suggested when we're talking about Adrian Griffin and the problems that are going on? How, how, how do we know that he's not the next MA Udoka? How do, we, how do we not sort of show that? And then the other part of this is how is there no suggestion of Indiana's former coach, Nate Borkson? 
Now, Nate Borchin, who I'm probably butchering his name, was it worked under Nurse, and Indiana wanted a Nick Nurse disciple, and he was a complete disaster for the Indiana Pacers and lasted a year. How is there no, like, hey, maybe the guys under Nick Nurse are complete psychos who can't work as head coaches? We've seen this in other sports. There are other examples of this. There, you know, the Patriot way is easily the best example. There are Alabama football assistants where it doesn't work outside of Alabama because it's not fucking Alabama. Just like it doesn't work when it's not New England because it's not the New England Patriots. And it's not the Toronto Raptors. It's not Nick Nurse. And how is that not pointed out? So I think if you want to have concerns about Adrian Griffin, I do. Like, no, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not like griff till I die. But I'm also not firing a guy after 10, 12% of the fucking season. That, that's unheard of. That's absolutely ridiculous. If we're 50 games in and there's struggles going on, then yes, wave the red flag. But I might even say, look at M.A. Udoka. Look at that. It, I just think that this is, and, and the last, last thought, I, I wanted to add this before, before we move on to the Packers. We have no idea the Terry Stott story. No one knows the Terry Stott story. We are all guessing. It is all conjecture. And so we think that Terry Stotts wanted out because of one interaction. We do not fucking know. So again, let's get some real sources. If Chris Haynes comes out with a story who's very plugged in to both Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo and says there's real concerns around Adrian Griffin, then that's when we talk about this. That's when we talk about this. And I hate to use that because I've blogged, I podcast, I'm an independent, I don't have sources, I talk to people, but like it's all just conjecture at this point. And we need to just take a fucking breath. The NBA is not the NFL, yet the national media is treating like it and it's infecting our brains like worms. All right, wrapping up today's show with the Green Bay Packers and Los Angeles Chargers matchup. It's going to be a very interesting one at Lambeau Field. Uh, The Chargers are coming off another tough loss, Uh, basically same old Chargers, if you will, uh, as they lose 41 to 38 against the Detroit Lions. Now the Chargers head to likely Chili Lambeau. I'm pulling up the weather. So that will be a change uh, for the Chargers. I believe it is going to be a Milwaukee game. So we do have that discussion around uh, around Milwaukee sort of fans, but I don't think there are a ton of Chargers fans besides that crazy one that went, went viral. So it's going to be 47 and sunny in Green Bay. So actually... Not that bad for a mid-November football game. I think I've told this story before, but uh, we, my wife and I went to a game around this time, I think it was 2019, against the Carolina Panthers. And I, she does not like the cold. And I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. It's not going to be that cold. It's, it basically, I thought the weather would be like this. Uh, it was not. <laughs> it was about 33. It was a 325 game too because Packers mattered in the grand scheme of things and would get late games uh, because they were actually good. And I was like, I say, it'll be fine, whatever. It was cloudy all day and it dumped snow in the fourth quarter. And it took us three hours to get from Green Bay to De Pere. 
Now, I don't think people are going to have that same type of issue uh, with the weather set set up for at Lambeau Field. But this is a very interesting game uh, for a variety of reasons. Number one, the Chargers need to keep winning uh, because the AFC is an absolute gauntlet right now. Uh, the AFC is as good as we thought it might be. Uh, I had compared the two early in the season to, you know, the NBA West, the old NBA Western Conference versus the NBA Eastern Conference. And I, I feel like that's what we have on our hands. And they need to win to keep pace uh, because if you don't keep pace, you can easily fall behind. So the Chargers absolutely need this one. But I will say, what's your favorite Chargers on the road performance? Gutty sort of win like this. Can the Chargers actually get it done against an average team? Like you look at the metrics, the Packers are pretty average. Their record is, I don't think, as bad as they are. I think the Packers are a couple breaks away from being a five-win team. I know that people might not want to hear that. But there are things that could have broken the Packers' way where they would have won a couple more games. And I also think there are things that they could have done where they could have lost a couple games. Like the Packers have had two definitive wins on the season in the Bears and the Rams. They've had two definitive losses, in my opinion, in the Lions and the Vikings, concerning that that's the division, but here nor there for another time. And then everything else has been a toss-up. Yeah, where it's like, well, a couple more plays could have won. A couple more plays could have lost. And so, and and they've, they've been on the lo- losing side. I think they have one of the worst luck ratings in football. I'm not a huge fan of luck ratings. I, I It's something that I, I see it from time to time. I haven't ever dug in, but I'm pretty sure the Packers are one of the worst teams in terms of luck. And they are just an unlucky football team. What's going to be interesting in this matchup is, first of all, Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is the first real quarterback the Packers have faced all season. I I would even say, like, I know they faced Jared Goff, but he is not Justin Herbert. Like, Justin Herbert is a fucking dude, and he is playing really good. Uh, Daniel Popper, who is an excellent beat writer uh, for the Chargers, for the Athletic, which you can certainly check out his stuff if you want sort of the other side of what's going on with the Chargers. He had a column the other day where it was like, Justin Herbert's regained MVP form, but doesn't matter. And basically saying the defense completely sucks, which I, I want to get to here in a second. But I think trying to keep Justin Herbert down is going to be a real challenge for the secondary. Uh, it would be great to get Jagger Alexander back. Uh, having him back would be a huge lift. Uh, having Corey Ballantyne and Carrington Ballantyne as the two guys trying to hold down Keenan Allen and Jalen Guyton and Josh, uh, Josh Palmer's hurt, but holding down Quentin Johnson, the young rookie who's kind of slowly emerging here, uh, that would not be good. Uh, Herbert can go all day on the Green Bay Packers, but guess what? The Packers could go all day on that San Diego Chargers defense. There's a real question of what sucks more. The Packers run deep or the Chargers pass defense? Because uh, the Chargers pass defense is a complete disaster. Uh, we saw Jared Goff absolutely tear it apart. Uh, they are one of the worst defenses in terms of drop back EPA, which means that expected points happen more against the Chargers than any than most teams in the NFL. And Jordan Love should have himself a day. I, I think, I'll put my flag in this, that people who are still kind of concerned about Jordan Love, and I saw it with Dan Orlowski, who, again, it's like, can we actually watch what the Pittsburgh tape, like the Pittsburgh takes a good tape, in my opinion. And I understand, you know, yeah, he had a couple mistakes, whatever. And I, I won't relitigate that, which I did yet on yesterday's podcast. But Jordan, I think Jordan Love's going to have one of those games that everybody's like, whoa, shit. Like, I can see this being an absolute duel 
between him and Herbert and being similar to the Lions game where it's the last with the ball wins this game. And maybe the Packers red zone issues are what holds them back. You know, they had trouble finishing in the red zone last week. I could see that being a similar issue this week. Uh, there's no Keenan Allen on this football team uh, where every time you need a third down, Keenan Allen's there. I worry about our soft zones against Keenan Allen. I think Keenan Allen can have a massive day. I understand that he was hurt. And if they don't have Keenan Allen, that completely changes the game. Uh, but the question is, will the Chargers commit to the run even though they have not been able to run the football, Austin Eckler has been a disappointment. I think this season they have not, their offensive line has not been able to push guys around, and the Packers' run defense has struggled. Will the Chargers take the ball out of Justin Herbert's hands enough to basically say, "Let's attack this"? Uh, the Packers have done well. Uh, I would say well, but they've they've done well enough against the Kellen Moore-led offense. They've beat the Cowboys a couple times with Kellen Moore under as the offensive coordinator. So they will be at least familiar with what the Chargers are trying to do offensively. Uh, I don't know if that matters for incompetent Joe Barry, but we'll see. We'll, we'll certainly see. And I think I would prefer the pass defense. I would prefer basically to, to face a bad pass defense versus the Packers run defense because I don't think the Chargers are going to say, all right, we're going to take the ball out of Herbert's hands after what Herbert has been doing the last couple games and kind of where he's sort of ascending and crescendo, like he's kind of hitting his peak of the season. I don't think they're going to say, all right, now we're just going to give the ball to Austin Eckler because the Packers can't stop a run. I actually think that it works in the Packers' favor. And again, why it's imperative to get Jair Alexander back. If you can get Jair Alexander back, that would be a huge lift to what Green Bay is doing on the corners. Because if it's Valentine and Valentine, you just gotta pray. <laughs> that's that's all we're gonna. It's all we're gonna have. Like we're we're not gonna necessarily uh, get a, a great result there. Uh, so we'll we'll certainly have to see what happens in terms of the secondary. Uh, the pass rush of the Chargers is a bit scary uh, with Joy Bosa with Khalil Mack. Uh, trying to get to Jordan Love, uh, that will be an issue. Uh, it's another test for Zach Tom and Rasheed Walker. I, I know there was a little negativity around Rasheed Walker last week. I felt like, you know, with uh, Alex Highsmith's good. Like, he's a Pro Bowl player, and he I thought he did a good job. So we'll see if he can kind of follow that up again. Uh, Packers obviously sticking to the run. Chargers are okay against the run. They're not. They're good, not great. Uh, so can you get Aaron Jones going again? Uh, let Let's hope that to be the case. Uh, and it should be a really fun game. Uh, I, I think the Packers are a live dog at three and a half. Uh, if you care about those type of things, uh, I, I definitely. I think the over. <laughs> the Packers have not necessarily been an over team. I don't know what the number is probably at. I would say it's probably 45. I, I would look into that. I, I think there there's definitely some merit uh, to that, especially uh, if Jair Alexander doesn't play. I do not expect a low scoring game uh, between the Chargers and the Packers, but we'll we'll certainly have to see uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. That does it for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys had fun. We're off tomorrow, uh, no pod, uh, but then we will be back Friday uh, with Mitch and I in the mix. Uh, so make sure you're checking us out then for Tapping the Keg, I think it's episode 529, I wanna say. Uh, I lose track because I used to put the episode numbers in the title. And then for some reason, you guys just didn't like that. So I, I got rid of that. 
Uh, but I think this is 529 uh, for Mitch and I. And excited to talk to Mitch. Uh, it should be should be a good show. And we'll look forward to uh, hearing from him and getting ready for uh, the Wisconsin Sports Weekend. Uh, Bucks tonight. Uh, if you guys need something to watch, I think 630 uh, back in Toronto. See if they can exact revenge uh, over the Raptors. We'll, cer- we'll certainly see. Um, I will say if, uh, that Fire Agent Griffin column will look really fucking stupid if they're 8-4 or 9-4. They have three games the rest of the rest of the week. If they win out, they're 9-4 uh, heading into Thanksgiving. That's going to that's, that's gonna look real bad. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, all right, guys. Take care of yourselves. Have a uh, good Wednesday and we'll, uh, we'll see you Friday, okay? All right, take care. Thanks for the support on social too. I, I really love it. Uh, we'll uh, hopefully more 